Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, the next set of this get made is going to be quite a fantastic, terrible movie. And I, like, I really can't wait to see it. Oh, man. It's too bad we're not doing a shit movie night tomorrow. I know. I'm pretty sure, if it's this movie I'm thinking about, I'm pretty sure I saw a clip of it. And it involved a skateboard catching up with a car, a blow-up doll, and lots of explosions, and it was absolutely ridiculous. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it was, it was pretty stellar. Um, one of those moments where it was like, "How is this not on? How does this get made?" Was already? it a so. stellar skateboard? Hey. Uh, <laughs> uh, on that note, hey, hey, everybody, welcome to yet another episode of "I Want You to Watch This." I am your host, as always, Dennis, and I am with my two lovely co-hosts, Colin and Craig. How are you, gentlemen? I am thrilled, Dennis, because uh, our Twitter poll is giving us a chance to talk about the Coen brothers a lot. And I really, really love the Coen brothers. Yeah, I'm stoked that they picked this for us. Uh, how you doing, Craig? I'm doing pretty good. All right, all right. Um, well, I'm excited to talk about this movie. Um, this is, uh, since we're kicking off a new block, um, Colin mentioned uh, the we put up a Twitter poll to pick which director we're going to do for our director block. And uh, the consensus was... Our be- first director. Well, our first, first yeah, director we're block. We're going to be doing <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. a bunch. There's going to be a bunch. We're only going to do one director. Just one director. <laughs> that's it. And that's all. <laughs> and then from here on out, it's just Ice Cube movies. Um, <laughs> why? Because why not? Um, no. Uh, so we put up a poll on uh, Twitter to pick which director we should do for a block. And the, what was the directors? We had, we had Coen Brothers. We had uh, Wes Mel Anderson. Brooks, Wes Anderson and Judd Apatow, who turns out hasn't directed that many movies. He's a big producer, but hasn't directed that many things. Oh, really? Actually. Yeah. I was oh, okay. looking into it. It's more of like a like a like a kind of like a production group like J.J. Abrams has running, right? Yeah, kind of. He's he's the producer behind a lot of things, but he's not. He hasn't directed that many things. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, well, it's a good thing no one. Yeah. Chose, it's a good yeah, thing the majority, majority didn't, didn't decide on like that. Seven percent of the vote. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, which people probably knew, and we were like, yeah, Why, smarter than us. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I'm smart. I swear. Um. Anyways, uh, so this is my pick. I picked Oh Brother Where Art Thou, which is uh, one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies um and uh one of the more unique ones that they did so i uh, again very excited uh craig and i watched this together last night so um i will uh kick it off with a little bit of a kind of a stumbling through a uh um, what's this called a synopsis that's it uh <laughs> all right well it begins uh three convicts ulysses everett mcgill played by um george clooney pete hogwallop who, uh, who who's played by um god damn it Who's his name? John Turturro. John Turturro. And Delmar O'Donnell. You're going to have to help me with this. Who was the actor for Delmar O'Donnell? Tim Blake Nelson. Tim Blake Hi, Nelson playing Delmar O'Donnell. Escaped from a chain gang and set out to retrieve a supposed treasure, Everett, buried un- before the area is flooded to make a lake. Uh, the three get out, get a lift from a blind man driving a handcar on a railway. He tells them, among other prophecies, that they will find find a fortune, but not the one they seek. The trio make their way to the house of Wash, Pete's cousin. They sleep in the barn, but Wash reports them to Sheriff Cooley, who, along with his men, torch the barn. Wash's son helps them escape. They then stumble upon a singing congregation that is um, walking down to the river to be baptized. Um, Delmar uh, volunteers himself to be baptized, absolving himself from all sins, as does uh, Pete Hogwallop and follow. Uh, Everett kind of chastises them both for being idiots and kind of makes fun of them uh, throughout. Later, uh, they pick up Tommy Johnson, a young black man who claims his, he sold his soul to the devil in exchange for the ability to play guitar. In need of money, the four stop at a radio broadcast tower where they record a song as the Soggy, soggy Bottom Boys. That night, the trio part ways with Tommy after their car is discovered by the police. Unbeknownst to them, the re- rec- recording becomes a major hit. Near a river, the group hears singing. They see three women washing clothes and singing. The women drug them with corn whiskey, and they lose consciousness. Upon waking, Delmard finds Pete's clothes lying next to him, empty except for a toad. Delmar is convinced the women were sirens and transformed Pete into the toad. Later, one-eyed Bible salesman, Big Dan Teague, invites them for a picnic lunch, then mugs them and kills the toad. 
Everett and Delmar arrive in Everett's hometown. Everett confronts his wife, Penny, who changed her name, her last name, and told his daughters that he was dead. He gets into a fight with Vernon T. Waldrop, her new suitor. They later see Pete working on a chain gang. Later that night, they sneak into Pete's holding cell and freedom. As it turns out, the women had dragged Pete away and turned him into the authorities. Under torture, Pete gave away the treasure's location to the police. Everett then convinces, confesses that there was never any treasure, um, and then he made up the whole story to convince the guys he was chained with to escape with him. Uh, Pete is enraged at Everett because he had two weeks left in his original sentence and must serve 50 more years for the escape. The trio stumble upon a Ku Klux Klan rally uh, who are planning to hang Tommy. The trio disguise themselves as Klansmen and attempt to rescue Tommy. However, Big Dan, a Klan member, reveals their, ident their identities. Chaos ensues and the Grand Wizard reveals himself as Homer Stokes, a candidate in the upcoming gubernatorial election. The trio rush Tommy away and cut the supports of a large burning cross, leaving it to fall on Big Dan. Everett convinces Pete, Delmar, and Tommy to help him win his wife back. They sneak into a Stokes campaign gala dinner where she, that she is attending, disguised as musicians. The group begins to perform uh, of their radio hit. The group begins to a performance of their radio hit. The crowd recognizes the song and goes wild. Homer recognizes them as the group who humiliated his mom. When he, um, ugh, when he demands the group to be arrested and reveals his white his white supremacist views, the crowd run the crowd runs him out of town on a rail. Pepe O'Donnell, the incumbent candidate, seizes the opportunity, endorses the soggy bottom boys, and grants them full pardons. Penny agrees to marry Everett with the condition that he find her uh, find her original ring. The next morning, the group sets out to retrieve the ring, which is at a cabin in the valley, uh, which Everett earlier claimed was the location of his treasure. The police, having learned of the place from Pete, arrests the group. Dismissing their claims of receiving pardon, Sheriff Cooley orders them to be hanged. Just as Everett prays to God, the valley is flooded and they are safe. Tommy finds the ring in a desk that floats by, and they return to town. However, when Everett presents the ring to Penny, as it turns out that it wasn't her ring, and she doesn't remember where she put it anyways. And that's the thick and thin of Oh Brother Where Art Thou. And we was beat up by a Bible salesman <laughs> and banished from Woolworths. <laughs> <laughs> now, is it all branches of Woolworths? <laughs> or just the or one? Or just the one? <laughs> this movie is stylized in such a neat way. Well, by the way, this movie is, uh, it is about uh, Homer's Odyssey. It's the Odyssey. It's the Odyssey. And it's evident in... Uh, uh, for instance, uh, John Goodman playing a giant cyclops. Like he has, he has one eye, and he's a cyclops. Yeah. <laughs> like you know, and or like the women are obviously sirens. They're the sirens, and like uh, Clooney is obviously like Odysseus. He's the same name and everything, and he's he has the same sin, like his pride, because he's always obsessed with his hair and his hair treatment and the, the dapper Dan and all that. Yeah. Stuff. Yep. Yeah, and yeah, Pete gets turned to a frog, kind of. They think and. Right. Yeah, just like they got turned into pigs, and yeah, there's a bunch of like cool like parallels to this. It's, yeah, not, I mean it, that's an it's literally an epic, so right. <laughs> it's hard to to convey everything in that like you know like note for note. But yeah, there's definitely uh, and, but, and plenty the, of overlay the, overlapping. The way they do it is so neat to me because it like it creates these like almost like cartoon characters out of these these characters in the movie you know like um big dan teague is what is an example where he's just a smooth talking bible salesman and like and it's really snappy and like all these scenes are pretty fast and knit together really well and like the dialogue is just really sharp and on point particularly for ulysses um and all the characters just like all their little idioms and how they talk to each other and like Everything about it is very, it's a very unique movie, especially even for the Coen brothers. Yeah, even for them. But the funny thing about this being um, the Odyssey and being an adaptation of the Odyssey is they both claim to have never read the Odyssey. Really? And only did this based off of their cultural understanding of it through like everything else. But they claim that they've never actually I, read the book. I could see that. I could see that. Uh, as, yeah, someone who is very into like Greek mythology um enlighten us craig well no i mean it's like you know like i said it's it's like it's not a you know cut for cut like remake of you know odysseus's journey throughout the odyssey there are you know right. a few things that were uh you know kind of left out in terms of 
Um, you know, I mean, well, one of the things is no one dies. <laughs> that happened right, a lot yeah. in the Odyssey. And, and like, this might <laughs> actually be the Coen Brothers' least violent movie. Like, yeah. Either this or Raising Arizona. Yeah. But I think it's like one of their least violent movies. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, I had some issues with the pacing personally. Yeah. Um, and it was mostly because, again, like maybe, and maybe that goes back into, um, you know, them not having read the Odyssey allegedly uh-huh. um, and kind of taking on this huge epic without actually having, you know, gone into depth on it. Uh, there are yeah, a few things that I, I just didn't really like about like the pacing. I felt like some of the stuff was kind of uh, was kind of like cut and then kind of stitched together in weird ways uh-huh. uh, in terms of transitions in like in the story, like in the story throughout the movie. Uh, I liked everything about like, you know, like the, um, you know, kind of like the tone and the color palette of the movie. Uh-huh. Uh, I enjoyed the humor of the movie. Um, but I don't know. It just felt like it felt a little hollow. Like, like, like how they just kind of stumble from like set piece to set piece. Like, yeah, like they'd walk into the woods and then all of a sudden like a shit ton of singing people just walk out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden they're getting baptized. Yeah. Like yeah. stuff like that. I kind of like that though. Cause it makes it, it pulls it out of like, there's, this isn't based in any kind of reality of anything. First of all, it takes place in the South and there's zero black people except yeah, there's like, one. <laughs> you know there's yeah, one there's that's that. not in jail. Yeah. <laughs> so, kind of close to the South. <laughs> oh, I fucked up. Uh, um, no, but yeah. It, it, but yeah, it, it definitely I, is a fantasy. It's yeah. a fantasy world and it's a fantasy overlay of um, this kind of real time period in this actual place. And that was, yeah, just one of those little things that kind of like, kind of like itched at me as I was Uh. watching this movie of like, if that was the case and you were going to have this, you could have like based it anywhere or you could have, you know, made it just like a little bit more authentic in terms of casting. Yeah. Um, So there were some things that like irked me in that sense of, yeah, it just, it felt kind of uh, like meandering at points. It just didn't really feel like, and I, I mean, it's, it's, I feel like that's a very intentional thing, but for right. me, I it, just, it is an intentional yeah. thing because the movie's a farce. Yeah. It, it's not meant to like knit together in this way. It's supposed to be about these idiots stumbling their way through this thing. Like the two of the things that the Coens have said about this movie is one that it's the Odyssey meets the Three Stooges, and the other said it's the Lawrence of Arabia of hayseed movies. Huh. Like, it, it's supposed to be this thing of these guys just stumbling their way through it, and that's a theme throughout a lot of Coen Brothers movies, is idiots in the pursuit of nothingness, or idiots, like, stumbling their way yeah. through well, circumstances it just, it beyond. Is rife, it is rife with that Coen Brothers nihilism. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, it just didn't really feel like there were any stakes. Like, even in other, like, movies of theirs where I felt like, Sure, like, yeah, there is that element of nihilism to it. Right. Like, in this one, it just felt like they're, like, even at the end, like, if George Clooney, like, never even got together with his ex-wife, like, I feel like the movie still would have had the same effect at the end of the movie. Yeah. Regardless of whether or not he actually got what he was, like, in search of at the end. Mm. And it felt kind of, yeah, it, it, it just really didn't feel like there was, like, I didn't feel invested watching it in any of the stakes that were, you know, being presented in the movie. Not even when he's uh, praying at the end, he's about to be hung and he like, he's throughout the whole movie. He's been mocking the people's faith and mocking. This is a perfectly good scientific explanation. And he actually does break down and pray. And then as soon as like they're saved, he's like, Oh, you boys are so silly believing that this was God. This is all just science. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. And that that was, yeah, I did like that was, that was, a good that's little moment like of one moment where you're investing the stakes but i couldn't see how you could feel that way and also kind of him being saved by water when like in the original odyssey which again i don't know if they actually knew this but like you know, like the entire time like whereas in this movie it's like the sheriff that keeps hounding in, like in like almost literally well like figuratively and literally in this movie hey. um like hounding um ulysses like poseidon is is kind of like out to get uh, Odysseus throughout the original story. Right, it's like his and arch so, nemesis. Yeah, and so and so him kind of being saved by water at the end. I I liked that too. I like kind of like that kind of little turnaround, which again I'm not sure it was intentional, but <laughs> right. I it's enjoyed hard to it. Tell. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, and that's kind of the thing. Sorry, that's that's no, kind of the thing is like I don't know if like these things like were intentional, which is like kind of like what I felt like watching this movie. Like that prayer felt like a very intentional moment. But a lot of the parts of the movie, like the majority of it, just didn't really feel like there was any intent behind it, like on either side of like the camera, other than kind of 
just kind of portraying these characters as like again like these kind of bumpkins i um i think it's uh i think it's intentional in in the way that like of keeping it a comedy because this is this is a one of you know coen brothers comedy movies that they've done and like i feel like this like that kind of like disjointedness keeps it keeps an otherwise heavy story like in the realm of just like loopiness this is all just a lark right and like and i compare it to uh i mean in no ways that they're like kind of any like i don't know just another another coen brothers comedy is that is big lebowski i feel like the stakes in big lebowski are a little bit higher where it's like they're actually kind of dealing with some like serious gangsters and shit and like they're fucking idiots and they might get themselves killed whereas in this movie i felt like I didn't really have a concern for their well-being that they're going to just stumble through the end and be fine. Yeah. Even though like particularly in the bank robbing scene, you know, like they 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 I didn't mention the synopsis, but at one point they come across a serial bank robber who's yeah. just Babyface Nelson. <laughs> Babyface Nelson. And uh they, George. Yeah, George. Don't, don't call him George. George. <laughs> and 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 they tag along with George while he robs a bank and they're just standing there. They're not yeah. panicking. I mean, they're outlaws already. They're fugitives on the run. They just broke out of a chain gang. Like people, like cops are after them, and they're just standing there idly in a bank and while he, George while, is robbing. And while place. George Nelson is being pursued by the cops, he stops to ask them for directions. Right. Yeah. And he's like, "Why don't you hop in the car while you think it over?" Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, Mister, your folding money's coming undone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Flying out of the car. <laughs> Which is hilarious, but like it's it does cause this disjointedness where it's like throughout the movie since they're running from the authorities and everything you'd think that they would go and hide in the bushes when george comes up with the authorities chasing him yeah um well so then, yeah yeah well and then even you know like kind of like the revelation that the treasure was never there and um you know the and pete and delmar. Pete and delmar yeah uh you know kind of being like oh well we only had two weeks and now we got like 50 years like uh, i'm gonna be 84 years old. <laughs> I'll only be 82. 82. I mean, I felt like that's something that could have been like fleshed out a little bit more, like things like that, where I felt like the characters are almost like aggressively one dimensional. Yeah. And I felt like I just, I just wanted some more from this movie in terms of, in terms of the characters, in terms of their relationships, mm. in terms of, again, the stakes of this movie. Yeah. I just wanted a little bit more. And I understand like, you know, if that's the point of the movie, well, and we all know that movie. But for me, I just didn't. I didn't we all know that the Coen brothers are capable of doing that. Yeah, you know, I know. Yeah, and and so in that, I I I think it's intentional, and I personally really like it because of it. And like it it and like the 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 soundtrack also, and like how they present the soundtrack. Yeah, this that's movie, one of the things we didn't talk about. Is this movie has one of the hugest soundtracks of its time. Yeah, yeah. and and it's heavy in this movie. Where, like, they'll have full performances in the middle of it. And it's very disjointed because they're, like, you know, going through the Odyssey. And then all yeah. of a sudden they'll stop and watch these country bumpkins perform something. Which is great fucking music that no longer really exists anymore. I mean, it's old folksy there's, shit. From well, the yeah. There's still bluegrass music around. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But not on the degree that it is presented in this movie. It's not like, yeah. you know... It's, There's not like it's not like yeah the next big star right exactly yeah yeah, yeah. it's not like yeah the next oh the soggy bottom boys right. are like the next big thing yeah. like there's nothing like that for bluegrass right. I'm like, sure you days. can come across these musicians if you went to these small towns in you know Mississippi or Alabama but then you'd have to be in Mississippi and Alabama well I mean there's like uh, there's like a what is it like Rocky Grass there's like a bluegrass festival here like yeah, you know, there oh, is, mountain, yeah, there is yeah Colorado there. loves anytime, the bluegrass yeah, anytime you get out in like mountain yeah, yeah. like a, For sure. like you know like sparse population density yeah, yeah. like that that stuff picks up along with a lot of racism but you know <laughs> <laughs> well yeah well, mountain folk are crazy well, well speaking of that um Tommy is played by Chris Thomas King he's a real life blues artist he's not just an actor who's like pretending to be this guy's a real legit big blues star that's evident that yeah. performer is really talented <laughs> um yeah and yeah that's kind of what i felt too was i felt like there was a like this the entire soundtrack came together before anything else in the movie and i felt like a lot of like the movie was kind of like shaped around that i, I think it's shaped around that and it's shaped around an aesthetic more than it is trying to be like a cohesive narrative or be like a movie like you're kind of wanting it to be. I think it's more of a movie about the feel than it is about like the story that they're telling. Yeah. I guess I just didn't feel it like as much as you guys. <laughs> I was, well, I, it's, I, it's again, also extremely white. Yeah. This is a yeah. very, very white movie. Oh yeah. It's, a, it's, it's so white that they actually have a little, I know this is an unintentional or if, if it is intentional, then they are subtle as fuck. These Cohen guys is, uh, 
how I mean, it's like a, it's like a little little history of how white men stole uh, blues music from the black man. You know, like they come, yeah. they literally come across Tommy, and it's his idea to make it famous recording. Yeah, and and immediately Clooney's character steals that idea from him and leads the group. But also, they like go back and forth on whether they are um, black people or not, because Stephen Root is the guy who's running the recording studio. And right. This is the second movie where Stephen Root has been a blind man. Dang it! You're pulling yeah, the thunder away from me. I know. I was like, um, damn it! <laughs> <laughs> So Stephen Root is blind, and so he says, "You boys do Negro songs?" Like, well, sir, we are Negroes, all except for our uh, com- 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 fellow who plays the guitar. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> but then yeah. they go back and say, like, no, we're all white except for the guy who plays the guitar. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I, I, I chuckled at that. Like, yeah, Stephen yeah. Root, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, there's so that's that's a that's one actor that is a connection from a past movie that we reviewed, and it also features Daniel von Bargen who uh, was in Super Troopers, also playing a cop, because he plays Cooley in this. Yes, uh, he plays Cooley, who we touched on briefly, but um, one of the things that I found out when I was reading about this movie is that I'd never picked up on before. He's the devil? Well, yes, he's the devil, but he fits Tommy's description of the devil exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tommy says, like, he's white, as white as you folk, with empty eyes and a big hollow voice, and he travels around with a mean old hound. Yeah. You're like, oh, yeah, it's Tommy's exact description of the devil <laughs> yep. is this guy and, and uh at the very end uh, when they run into cooley and he's like uh he was like you got we're pardoned you got to obey like the you know the, the way of the law or whatever he's like law that's that's for humans or something he like, alludes to the fact that he's not human and he's like he's the laws are for the for the for for men it's very very cryptic actually it's very blood curdling yeah well, yeah and that's a, a thing in a lot of coen brothers movies too is just supernatural characters or supernatural elements being woven in well yeah that's yeah, like Barton the uh, Fink is huge on that it, yeah, yeah it's like a it's like david lynch but better. well yeah the, and that's like the other the other black person in this movie uh the mystical black man on the railroad yeah oh, like the prophet, the, uh, prophet. he's the black yeah he's he takes the part of uh i'm gonna butcher this name uh teresias who's uh the blind fortune teller in the odyssey okay and pretty much tells odysseus like the same thing that you know, he, like he's not gonna get like the fortune that he seeks, and right. it's gonna take a lot longer than he's expecting, and yeah. all that stuff. And um, yeah, and so yeah, there's like all these like little like very like small feeling elements, and then I feel like they even like, but I feel like they go back on it again too. Like they they kind of like introduce these like like supernatural elements, and then kind of like go back on the supernatural aspects, like, like the toad. with the frog, yeah, yeah with the frog, where yeah. I was just like. Well, they do that all the time. They like to. They don't want to go full born into it. They just want to tiptoe up to that line and then pull you back. Yeah. Because that's them having fun with it. That's them like having fun with the audience. Oh no, I enjoy it. that. Like I, I enjoy that. I, I enjoy if you that enjoy that aspect, it. watch Barton Fink because Barton Fink is just full of that of them like walking it up to the line and pulling it back. I mean, it's no god horse, but I mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, magic realism yeah <laughs> oh man we're talking about winter's tale but don't ever watch winter's tale unless you just want to be thoroughly confused for two yeah. hours then do yeah because <laughs> holy fuck or you enjoy watching will smith exposit because that's pretty much all yeah right all, the only so, purpose he serves in the movie <laughs> there's like a kind of another running theme throughout this which is like eyesight and blindness like there's a lot of like blind characters and like it doesn't seem to be that focused or anything. It's just that like blindness is kind of a theme, like the Cyclops and the blind prophet in the beginning. And then the blind radio station guy. Right. I mean, I got to say like considering I don't I, like, Going back to, like, are we sure that they didn't read the Odyssey, or is this... Well, that's just what they say, and okay. they, they say a lot of things. Yeah, because, like, there's, like, the there's whole thing... There's a lot of, like, the whole thing with, like, Fargo being a true story is a lie. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, like, with, uh, like, Big Dan, the Cyclops, who's, like, also a pastor, who is, like, essentially, like, a shepherd, and the Cyclops in the Odyssey is a shepherd. Like, right. he, like, has, like a, like, a bunch of sheep that he watches over, I'm just like... That seems like a pretty like in depth thing. Like yeah, yeah. a pretty minute detail. Well, like that not, would be not to mention like how they pace this movie where it's like these very stark 
like see this is from the odyssey like when like the first thing is they come across the prophet he's it's like a lone man operating a handcart in the railway in the middle of the field and he's blind yeah <laughs> and and they and then he like immediately starts telling him this obvious prophecy just like the way he's talking and everything and everything is so blatant and obvious to a reference that everyone should be aware of you know and um it makes it fun to me. I really enjoy that. Like, uh, like the most ridiculous I think is when they stumble upon the sirens. Like they're just driving down the road, and uh, um, uh, and Pete just like Pete, yeah, Pete, screams, like yeah, he just starts like, biting his fist. He's like, pull over, because he like hears the very faintest song yeah. of a woman singing, and flips the fuck out. And so they go down there, and it's like very like strangely paced, and that we're. Where, like, uh, they automatically, like, you know, start hitting on these women. And the women aren't, you know, saying anything. They're just singing the song over and over again. They're singing the song, but they're also plying them with liquor. Right, yeah, yeah. Like, getting all up on them and everything. Yeah. They're obviously seducing them. Right. Yeah, and it's very, it's almost like a theatrical thing. You know, like a, like a, like what you'd see in ballet. That, like, you know, very exaggerated movements and a lot of very, like, no dialogue, if any, just to explain the situation of what's going on. And... And I love those moments. Um, I, I remember the first time I saw this um, being very shaken by uh, John Goodman's character as the Cyclops and how he just changes on them like instantly. Yeah. He's in the middle of talking, just rips a tree branch yeah. off and just starts beating the shit out of him. And Clooney He's is, just sitting Clooney there. Clooney is such a buffoon <laughs> that he doesn't even register that yeah. they're being attacked. I mean, Delmar gets whacked and he's like, what you talking about, Big Dan? And then he just hits him in the mouth. Yeah. He hits him twice too. Like he hits him once, and he's like still sitting there. Yeah, and like, he's like just like, like what was that for? On, yeah, yeah. Like, like he's beating the shit out of you. Like what yeah. do you think is happening? One of the things I love is that the Coens are great at using Clooney as the lovable buffoon. Like this is the first movie where they did it, but they also bring him back as like a lovable buffoon in Hail Caesar, and like he's a, like a kind of a lovable buffoon in Burn After Reading, which we'll talk about in a few weeks. But yeah, yeah, yeah. um it's just one of those things that they recognize this thing in him and up until that point in his career he had never done that much comedy really uh-huh. huh it's fun he's oh. um he's a natural comedian he is he really he's is great. uh he's one of those he's one of those actors that like i find myself subconsciously trying to dislike because he's just really good at lots of stuff that he does <laughs> like in and like off and on the screen you know like his whole like darfur awareness is just like such a great thing for someone in his position to be doing and like the like syriana is one of my favorite war movies or political awareness movies i guess uh, it's hard to categorize that movie uh good guy george yeah. clooney um yeah uh color it, this be- this movie is beautifully shot yep and that's another big thing that almost all of the cgi in this movie is exclusively color correction oh really yeah because this movie was shot in like mississippi in like june and july uh-huh. so everything where you see those lush like um fields that are all golden yeah. those were green oh okay and like all of that stuff um so this movie was shot on film so they then had to scan that film into a digital suite then they color corrected like every frame of it giving it like those gold hues and making everything look kind of brown and dusty and sepia tone yeah and then they had to transfer that back onto film oh wow to be sent out to the theaters damn, damn. so this, so went through this, this is like process. this is right at like the cusp of when film went from film to digital yeah this is before people were really shooting on digital and right there's an interesting thing with roger deakins um who I will talk about more in a minute, but Roger Deakins, who's the cinematographer for this movie, talking about how, like, we're probably going to be heading towards digital film, like, in the near future, and he recorded this thing in 2000. Oh. Yeah, is, you know, so way before we started shooting everything digitally, when everything was still being shot on film, he's like, oh, yeah, the future of cinema is going to be shooting digitally. Huh. I remember, um... Oh, I won't get into it. It's a really bad... How did this get made? Um... <laughs> but the the other CG in this movie, apart from the extensive color correction, I mean, like every frame color corrected extensively, was um, the cow deaths, like when they shoot oh, really? the cow oh, and yeah. the cow, and those were so convincing at the time that the movie was investigated by the American Humane Association to make sure that they didn't actually harm any cows in the making of this movie. That you was know just what they should have done? 
they should have put CGA at the bottom corner of the screen. Bollywood has it right. Anytime there's a animal on screen that is CG, it has to say CG because <laughs> we're in a Hindu culture. <laughs> oh, Bahubali. That's an amazing movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, Bahubali's amazing. Oh, um, um, anyways. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, I was talking about Roger Deakins. Um, Roger Deakins is not quite the unsung, but the very uh, appropriately sung hero of a lot of Coen Brothers movies. He's gotten 13 Oscar nominations for achievement in cinematography, five of which are Coen Brother projects. Oh, wow. Uh, he worked with them on a lot of things, including Fargo, which we'll be talking about uh, next week. So we get to see more of Roger Deakins's incredible camera work. That's another part of this. What makes this movie so good is just the cinematography is outstanding. Oh yeah, the how he uses space is just really, really awesome. Um, like open fields and open, you know, valleys and stuff. Uh, really, really pretty. <laughs> the movie's pretty. Um, I love uh just the the dialogue in this movie. Like uh, it really kicks off when they're in Wash's house, Pete's cousin, and uh. Like, uh, Pete's cousin has this kid that's, like, what, like, seven or so or whatever. And he, he, the kid introduces himself by, like, shooting at them. He's like, y'all from the government? <laughs> y'all from the bank? <laughs> yeah. I'm supposed to shoot anyone from, from the, the bank. bank. <laughs> <laughs> also supposed to shoot men serving pipers. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I won the census, man. <laughs> I nicked the census, man. <laughs> that's a, a good, good boy. boy. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, uh, they go and have dinner. And, uh, it's like, where's your wife, Cora? It's like, well she i don't know where she is she must uh r-u-n-n-o-f-t <laughs> i wrote that same line down. I don't... and then when the kid is helping them escape from the burning barn he's like come on boys i'm gonna r-u-n-n-o-f-t yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh then my favorite is when they uh steal the car from the boy and he's like you know down lazy something or others <laughs> It's like all the cursing is just ridiculous. Um, I love the politicians and how obtuse they are. Like how they're just terrible pieces of shit. And like, oh yeah, on oh, both Pepe sides. Dan- on both Pepe sides. Daniel especially though, because Pepe O'Daniel and his campaign is so inept. I don't know. I'd I say especially look- the white supremacist. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we get less time with That's H- Homer true. Stokes, and Homer Stokes is like throughout the whole movie seems to be the one who's got it together and it's not until we reveal that he's a white supremacist that things fall apart yeah it's supposed to be like oh yeah homer stokes is clearly gonna win homer stokes is like the superior candidate right but then oh we're twisting it on its head because throughout the movie we're showing the ineptitude of papio daniel's campaign right like he's got his uh son who's there is like boy because uh, Homer Stokes is the reform candidate. He's like, boy, they people sure do like that reform. Maybe we should get us some of that. <laughs> How can you be the reform <laughs> candidate? We're the incumbent. The incumbent. <laughs> <laughs> and, like it's he's surrounded by like sycophants and yes men who don't like offer him anything and he's right. just being killed in the polls. Yeah, and they're you're just like classic Southern gentlemen in their white suits, just sweating <laughs> on a porch, like weighing three hundred pounds. Um, yeah, a lot of characters in this movie. Um, I love, uh, the confrontation with, uh, oh, when, uh, um, Everett finally, uh, meets up with his family and talks to his girls and like how they, how the girls are doing their dialogue. They're like changing from like one per- one kid to the next to the next, you know? Yeah. Like he's a suitor. Yeah. She's got a new man. It's like, he's <laughs> bona fide. Mama says she's a suitor. <laughs> Yeah, you are our daddy. Our daddy was run over by a train. I wasn't hit by no damn train. <laughs> the damn paterfamilias. Paterfamilias. He's got like six daughters or some shit. It's yeah, seven, seven. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I gotta uh, end my uh, my notes on my one of my favorite lines in this is um, when uh, um, uh, Ulysses is at a general store and he's trying to find hair product because he's a he uses this product called Dapper Dan, oh, and yeah. uh, the counter which was guy, a real thing, by the which way. is a real thing, yeah. And yeah. so is Fop, and uh, and the the guy at the register gives him a can of Fop, and he's like, "What? What? What is this?" I said, "Dapper Dan. I'm a Dapper Dan man. I didn't ask for no Fop." <laughs> <laughs> well, that leads to one of my other things because they're at this store because they're trying to get a part for the car that they right. stole, and it's everything's take two weeks. Two weeks yeah. and he said, "Ain't this place a geographical oddity? <laughs> two weeks from everywhere." <laughs> 
I also love that at the end with the uh, with the flood, it's like all the Dapper Dan like canisters oh, yeah. just like floating by. Like it's just like it's just like had to have been like hidden in the walls. Like, oh, yeah. So of, much like, Dapper Dan. Hundreds of, hundreds <laughs> of Dapper Dan. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's all, that's all I got, gentlemen. I have a few more things. One of which is just I love Holly Hunter. Um, just some, her in this movie is so great. It just reminds me of her in Raising Arizona. Yeah, and just other things that they've worked with her on, but uh, I just love her like hard headedness and like I've counted to three, honey. Right, she's just yeah. walking away. <laughs> I'm counting to three, even though she's being like completely like ridiculous, like like oh yeah, that's not my ring. You have to go get my ring. Like well, it's at the bottom of a giant lake. And <laughs> like, I already counted to three. Well, too bad. <laughs> like you better get that ring. <laughs> like that's impossible. But I still love her so much. Oh, I know. I love what um. He fights for her in the general store, and um, a bystander like walks by her, and he and throughout the like whole confrontation with Ulysses, he's she's like, "You're not my husband. You're not my husband." You know, just some no count drifter. You're just some no count drifter, and uh, but like she doesn't say the words husband, and uh, and and uh, the, until this guy asks him like, Who, "Who's that? Who's that fellow there?" And he's and she goes, she's like smiling, and she goes, "Well, he's not my husband," <laughs> <laughs> and it's such a great line because. It's like basically the same thing that she was saying before, but like you could see it in her face where she's like still madly in love with him and like still yeah. considers him her husband. Yeah. Are you Walter? Yeah. And then he goes up and sniffs him. You've been using my hair treatment. <laughs> Your hair treatment. <laughs> uh, that, by the way, the guy who plays Vernon T. Walter uh, plays the Reverend on Deadwood. Oh. Hmm. Yeah. Yep. He do. Do we have any uh, James Bond connections? We don't, apart from the fact that um, Babyface Nelson says, any of you boys know your way around a Walter PPK? <laughs> oh, yeah, the Walter PPK is James Bond's gun. A um, couple of things. This movie has a 7.8 on IMDb, a 77% on Rotten Tomatoes, and an 89% audience score on audience, uh, uh, audience tomatoes. On Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it had a budget <laughs> Audience of, Tomatoes is way better. I think we should yeah. just start <laughs> saying audience, audience Tomatoes. tomatoes. Uh, so, Rotten so Tomatoes Rotten and tomatoes. Audience Tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. Rotten Tomatoes versus <laughs> Audience Tomatoes. Let's do it. All right. Okay. Um, this movie had a budget of $26 million and had a gross of $45 million, but that's not accounting for sales of the soundtrack, which I did not look up, but I would imagine would tip this movie over oh. a little bit farther because this perfect, was a huge soundtrack. Perfect segue. Um, uh, this soundtrack is amazing. It features all kinds of artists. Um, Nico Case stands out. It's just fantastic. Uh, I'm sure you've heard these songs, um, unless you're just really not into uh, folksy country music. Um, but even if you're not, like it really oozed its way into pop culture uh, around the early 2000s. Uh, my one last thing is I just love the bookends of this movie. Again, with the color correction of it starts in black and white and slowly fades into like the sepia tone that the rest of the movie is and then at the end of the movie it's in that sepia tone and as like george clooney's daughter is on the railroad tracks watching the blind man push the cart and they're all singing and she pulls away the movie slowly fades back into black and white oh how cool i didn't know that's pretty cool yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool <laughs> i guess that's pretty cool yeah check watch for it the next time you watch this movie yeah yeah i don't think i'm gonna watch this movie again honestly really <laughs> I, love I, get, it. I I liked it. I just I I just liked it. I don't know if I would watch this movie again. Yeah, it's probably to it's have probably, different opinions. It's probably Craig. my least favorite Coen Brothers movie. Really, yeah. really. Well, wow. I haven't seen a whole lot of them. Okay. I okay. mean, I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I mean, I haven't seen like all of them. I was like, it's totally fine for that to be the case. I'm just I'm flabbergasted by that. No, yeah. I'm trying to think uh, of. It's like, probably one of my favorites, if not my favorite. Um, it's it's like in my top just because like, of how different it five is. or so probably but yeah. it's not it's not my favorite cones but it's it's up there i mean it's yeah it's a unique movie um not serious definitely not serious yeah, yeah I mean, and, and they've proven that they can do serious before this i mean the, like blood simple is a really great really intense movie or you know a little movie called no country for old men yeah <laughs> which came out after this but yeah yeah <laughs> fucking actually insane. i'd say yeah this the of the ones that I've seen, I'd say Hail Caesar is probably my least favorite of the ones that I, I've seen. I would say Hail Caesar is better upon repeat viewings. 
Because I, like, I, I think the first time I saw Hail Caesar, I was kind of met on it. But the second time I saw Hail Caesar, I loved it. So I would say try Hail Caesar again. All right. Yeah. So that was the yeah. And then this one kind of like bumps in a little bit ahead of Hail Caesar. Uh, then probably... I'd say probably No Country was slightly above that. Big Lebowski slightly above that. Burn After Reading slightly above that. And then Fargo is like my number one of the of the Coen Brothers, Coen Brothers movies that I've seen. Mm. So. Oh, Craig, there's so many movies for you to see. <laughs> <laughs> Hudsucker Proxy is fun. Hudsucker Proxy is fun. Uh, Raising Arizona is like a really fun movie. Yep. Um, uh I love Inside Lewin Davis. Like, Inside Lewin Davis is amazing. That's an amazing movie. But I will say this: it, I have a, I kind of have a hard time with that movie. If I, 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 I probably, like, I, ha- I hate to say this, but I almost have to. It's my least favorite. Not in the fact that like it's not a good movie. It's just that it's like it. The nihilism in it is just so overriding that it's like it makes me like hollow inside after watching it. But at the same time. It also strikes more emotion out of me than most other Coen brothers because of how raw it is. So I don't know. I'm I'm really torn up by that movie. I guess I do love it. <laughs> yeah. It's really affect it affects you. Yeah, so yeah, I take that back. It really works. <laughs> um, oh, Miller's Crossing. Cullen's a guys fan. we could just uh, I wish we could do like all of their movies. <laughs> a Coen Brothers podcast? Might be on the horizon. But anyway. Anyway. I'm, I'm pretty well set. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, uh, I guess that wraps us up for our review of um, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Kicking off our first director block, The Coen Brothers. Up next will be uh, Fargo, which will be which is Craig's pick. As he just mentioned, it's his favorite Fargo. Uh, it's his favorite Fargo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be my favorite Coen Brothers movie, too. Yeah. I'm, gl- I'm glad one of you guys picked oh, it yeah. because I... I really want to talk about Burn After Reading. So yeah, I'm stoked to revisit both of these movies. So, yeah, um, it's gonna, it's looking to be a fun month. Um, also on the horizon is Valerian. Uh, I'm the only one in the group that has seen it so far. So far, I'm gonna see. Um, and uh, so stoked on that recording. Um, be prepared for that. Um, I guess we'll go into rickety wreck to the wreck to the rickety rock. The recommendation. Ah. What's up, Colin? <laughs> <Keep going. laughs> um, I will start off. I have a, a video game recommendation called RimWorld. Um, I got it because it has nothing but overwhelmingly positive reviews on Steam. It is a indie game. Uh, it's a top-down, like kind of like two-dimensional. Uh, I guess like closest game I can like compare it to would be maybe like Sims you have like a group of settlers and you're like building like cities like you know not really cities even just like little cottages and shit settlements yeah and like gathering shit and building more shit you know and surviving shit uh but what's amazing is that the you you pick an ai that kind of dictates the story that you're going to that's going to be unfolding and so it gets very interesting you roll up uh random characters so i'll just give you an example of the first game that i played um, I had you. I started with three settlers. Uh, one worked his ass off, but he was also like the only one that had any brains. So like half the time that he was building shit, he also had to research a whole bunch of shit, which slowed everything down. Um, there is a young girl who was in love with him for some reason, who was a pyromaniac who kept burning down shit. Um, their third guy was an all right worker, not too smart or anything. Um, kept on hitting on the girl, but she kept on rebuffing him until he got depressed and wandered off in the woods and got killed by a group of squirrels. He had a pet dog that turns on the other settlers and kills both of them. <laughs> and that's how my story ended. Oh. Rimworld. Check it out. Very strange. <laughs> uh, so that's my recommendation for this week. Very nice. Uh, we're doing video games. I'm going to say uh, Mario Maker is one of the most fun things I've been playing with in the past several years of like any video game. Are like, you still playing it pretty regularly? Oh, I'm still playing it like three or four times a week at least oh wow (laughs) just because there's that it's always fresh content there you'll never run out and it's all like i don't really build that much in it honestly i mostly just enjoy going around and seeing what's out there in the community and getting better at playing mario in general and it's just 
there it's so limitless it's such right. a fun game and like you can just have hours and hours of fun that'll like never dry up from this because it, it kind of fuses like a lot of different side-scrolling marios together right? it, yeah well you can build in multiple styles so you can build in uh, mario u which mm. is like the wii version you can build in original super mario brothers you can build in um, mario 3 and you can build in super mario world which is the super nintendo one Best and each ever. of those have their own unique physics and everything so depending on how you want your level to be or how you want it to play you can play with those different physics engines and just make all sorts of really cool stuff huh neat fun i need to get a wii u uh, or a switch or a switch yeah <laughs> i will recommend uh, crazy head it's a Netflix original show. Uh, it's kind of like British Buffy. Uh, it's uh, these two characters who essentially find out that, well, one of them finds out that she can like see demons and the other one is like known and has been fighting demons. And so they team up to fight demons together. And it's uh, pretty fun. It's like six episodes. Uh, I don't think it's getting a second season. So it's like pretty easy watch on like, you know, a lazy Sunday. It's really fun, and I quite enjoyed it. Crazy Head on Netflix. Rock and roll. Yeah. You watch so many programs, and like I, I'm always in awe of how much like entertainment you can soak up. Craig. Like, <laughs> I'm really in awe. Like from across the board. Well, Comic I mean, Craig books. watches like internet shows the way I listen to podcasts. Yeah, but like, <laughs> like and like video games and comic books and books <laughs> and like. It's like, do you sleep, you robot? Like, I don't. Uh, not that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. It's like, I will always only ever like wake up like half an hour before I need to be somewhere. Right. So it's like, it doesn't matter if I go to bed at like nine o'clock or one o'clock. I'm always going to wake up like half an hour before I need to go to work. Ah. And so like, that's pretty much just like what I do. Like during the week, I'm just like, fuck it. I might as well just stay up until one in the morning because I'd probably just lay here and toss and turn all night anyway. And that's a good use yeah. of your time. I mean, yeah, not having like, you know, like any relationships or, you know, things like that helps too. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. But like having a desk job also helps. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, it's all of these like factors of like, Oh, like I have like downtime and like not shit to do. So let's read something or watch something. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, still, I'm really impressed by it because, like, I mean, it must be like I, have, I just have a hard time, like, like particularly with like podcasts. I have a hard time, like, like Adventure Zone is an amazing podcast, but I have it takes me forever to get through one episode because I get distracted by like the slightest thing on my desk. <laughs> Maybe I have really bad adult ADD that's not diagnosed. Well, <laughs> anyways, I'm sure we all have a lot of things that are not yeah. diagnosed. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, you should join us for our side project inside yeah. the mental mind. Yeah. Um, we should do another podcast like Undiagnosis or something like that. Heck yeah. Just... <laughs> hey, uh, fans, um, speaking of which, if you would like us to fire off a side podcast, we would totally be willing to do that. Problem is, it costs around $130 to launch a brand new podcast with like a new URL and like a new like feed. So if you want to do that, um donate to us uh, you know how to get a hold of us you can figure it out we should we'll probably talk more. like a patreon or something sure like that no, we'll like, make our good. fans work yeah <laughs> yeah hunt us down you guys figure it out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no we'll, we'll we'll look into like setting up a patreon page or at least like a paypal account well, yeah. for a soundcloud i think yeah. i actually do have my paypal link to the soundcloud oh. um i'll double check that but hey if it's working fucking give us money yeah <laughs> also yeah don't forget to like rate us and things like that oh like, yeah um, but uh before we go into that i actually have a correction and omission <gasps> oh going shit. all the way back to episode two arrival Holy oh wow shit. <laughs> all right what, what have you dug up my friend <laughs> okay i've been re-watching star trek next generation and okay. when we were talking about arrival I was trying to remember some episode of Star Trek where they encountered non-linear aliens that wanted to study the Enterprise crew because they're like, oh, you have a limited existence. Like, we want to study how that works. Right. That, and I couldn't remember what episode it was. It's season two, episode two, where silence has lease. I have finally solved this. <laughs> Bravo. Bravo. Yes. Thank, but that is my correction and omission reaching all the way back to episode two. Well, fuck yeah, Colin. <laughs> way, way to correct and omit, like, the best of us. Um, all right. Well, uh, shit. I guess uh, we'll go into, uh, yeah, uh, Craig brought it up. Um, iTunes reviews helps us great. 
any kind of review, actually, wherever you found this podcast or you listen to right now, check out to see if you can write us a five-star review. I'll give you an example of a few people that have written us a five-star review. And hey, if you write us a five-star review on iTunes, you too will be will have your name read by one of us. By a nerd. <laughs> by a giant one nerd. One of us. <laughs> uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pass this around uh, and each one of us will just read, a, read one name. Uh, the, the first one is Panda Bex. Thank you so much for your positive five-star review for our podcast. Without you, we would be nothing. So it looks like we've got um, uh, just the intern here. Um, looks like they gave us a five-star review, and uh, I hope you get that job that you've been looking for. <laughs> Thank you for your five-star re- review, Nerds with Words. We could not be doing this without the positive influence of people like yourself. Nerds with Words is also a pretty awesome podcast, so check Excellent. them out as well. Excellent. Yes, thank yeah, you guys we're, we're for your five-star review. Yeah, yeah, thanks, buddies. Uh, we're, we're good friends with them. They're part of our the, the movie pod squad found on Twitter. Hashtag. Uh. Yeah, yeah. And uh, last but not least is uh, many, many thanks to the Renaissance Nerd for writing us a fantastic five-star review and growing our audience base tenfold with your words of persuasion. <laughs> Muchas gracias. <laughs> Uh, um, okay. <laughs> anyways, uh, you can find uh, our podcast and follow us on Twitter at IWYTWT, as well as individually on Twitter. I am at The Debucks. I am at Catharticus. I am at Colin Munch. And you can find all of our episodes on SoundCloud.com forward slash IWYTWT. And hey, join us for some movie talk on Facebook, Facebook.com forward slash IWYTWT. And um, that kind of wraps us up, doesn't it? I think, I think so. Sweet. Well, um, I mean, we could just meander for another hour and forty-seven yeah, minutes. You know? kind of meander. We could a pull a Cohen and just yeah. keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we're not nihilists. Uh, <laughs> well, many, many thanks to the Movie Pod Squad. You guys are great, and many, many thanks to Potter and Family. You guys are awesome. Uh, thank you, all of you fans out there. Thanks for listening. Uh, please spread the good word to any other movie nerds that you know of that would enjoy our stupid, pointless banter. Oh, yeah. Also, if you uh, enjoyed our talking about this movie, you can hear uh, much more intellectual and uh, better put together thoughts on this movie by listening to uh, the canon. They have a great episode on Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yes, you're right. a Stitcher Premium subscriber. Um, and fans of Julie, uh, she I am still trying to get her to be a regular uh, em- employee of the... <laughs> I want you to watch this A franchise. regular employee. D- D- Dennis, don't say employee. We don't want to oh, talk sh- about shares. I mean, falling yeah, tears. I know you see my eyes going back and forth. <laughs> 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 on that note, uh, thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>